Welcome back. David Penn here, the Professor Penn Podcast. Number 75, and I'm going to check the date because I want to make sure. It's the 20th. The 20th of November, 2023. Started out there with little James Brown. Why do I do that? Well, I like James Brown. He had a big influence on me. And I'm thinking there might be some people in the audience, younger people, they don't know Soul Brother Number One and the influence that he had on American culture. A lot of what we're talking about lately is culture, how it works to shape human behavior. And I think it's very important that we look at some of these fundamental pieces in our culture. I mean, this guy is a, a timber, man. There's a lot resting on James Brown musically. We had the great 19-year-old Bootsy Collins in the background playing the bass. How many of you know Bootsy? <laughs> One of my favorite songs. Can't get along with my mother-in-law. Bootsy Collins, they're just fantastic. And uh, we can't let these cultural pieces get lost. We have to know where things come from so we know where we are. Free People Radio. Thank you, Free People Radio. Free People Radio is growing. Precinct Strategy. We're going to talk a little bit about Dan Schultz today because, you know, Dan has a lot of uh, creative influence on this channel. I want to start out. Um, I had a pretty good uh, last few days since I saw you. I was down on myself last time, and some of the... Uh, Viewers and listeners were kind enough to uh, reach out to me and say, don't be so hard on yourself. And uh, I want to thank you for that. That's very loving and very kind. And I'm not into uh, a self-revelatory uh, flagellation. I'm doing this because I'm, I'm putting down a marker for all of us. But myself, I'm getting the benefit. I'm putting a, a bar out there that says I have to achieve certain spiritual and physical goals. And when I say spiritual and physical, that's a scam. I have to achieve certain goals with the life force that I've been given, which is a blessing granted to me by my creator. 
It's not forever. And in the time I have left, there's things I want to accomplish. So when I don't get there, I have to be honest with myself about it. Well, I had a good three, four days since I saw you. It can be better. And I'm doing this because I think that part of the solution to our political problem is found in self-development of every American citizen. Because we're tolerating this, right? I am tolerating, and I did it for many years, and most of Americans are still doing it. We know this from the voting. You know, that I tolerated empire. I got off on it. That's why we played the flyovers. You know, I watched a little uh, football uh, this weekend. The Vikings, um, we're in Minnesota. Been a Viking fan. I've been talked about it a lot on the show. Uh, and I've, I've had this thing. You know, every time I watch the Vikings, they lose because, of course, I'm part of the generation that had the four Super Bowl curse. And, of course, I watched the Vikings last night a little bit, slept through most of the game, woke up just in time to watch them lose. So when Professor Penn watches the Vikings, it's a guaranteed loss. And there it is. But I noticed before I fell asleep the beautiful military display on the field before the kickoff. And, of course, this was a nationally televised Sunday night football game. And there's the military and the NFL. They're so together. They're so to And why not? Football is a violent game. It's war. It's a, game of, it's a chess game of war between very highly skilled athletes. It's a natural, it's a natural uh, marketing tool for the military for empire. And, I, you know, I love football, and therefore I love empire. That's why we do football. <clears throat> we want to be a dominant male on the field. That's why we relate to it. Of course, we lose every time when Professor Penn watches, so I'm not going to watch the Vikings again this year in the hopes that they'll succeed in their quest to make the playoffs. Good luck, Vikings. Much more important. You know, it's interesting. I got all these people asking me for copies of this prayer. People like this prayer. And yet when I watch in the live chat, when I pray, the number of viewers goes down. So not everybody likes the praying. And that's okay. I hope they find truth in their own way. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. There's a strange thing going on in my life. I have five children, and uh, 
I educated them. And I made it very clear, you know, my father was the real Professor Penn, and my mother was a leftist communist activist attorney who spent her whole career tearing down the United States of America legally. And I remember I was sitting to, at the uh, dinner table, it was about 1968, and my mother had been very involved in Eugene McCarthy, that Senator Eugene McCarthy. You might want to go look it up because it's important. Senator Eugene McCarthy, who led the anti-war movement, the anti that was the Vietnam War, where millions of people were in the streets protesting the Vietnam War or that particular time period's expression of American empire, which was fenced all kinds of different ways. The war was really about the rubber tree plantations in Vietnam, and I've been there, and they got a lot of rubber trees, and that's where tires come from. So it was really a tire war. But, you know, they called it a, a war against the spread of communism. It was a war against the Soviet Union and China, the same thing we're doing here today. It's an ongoing way that we express empire. And Eugene McCarthy was just loved by the left. The leftists loved him. He was for peace. He was anti-war. My mother was very involved in his campaign. I remember hanging out with these people. And um, he lost. He lost to another Minnesotan at the Democratic Convention in Chicago in 1968. That would have been Vice President Hubert Humphrey. He was Lyndon Johnson, the Dark Lord's Vice President. And, you know, Johnson dropped out because of the anti-war movement. So he only served the end of the and this is critical because this is the anniversary week of the assassination of President John Kennedy, who we will remember throughout this uh, get-together. That was November 22, 1963. Johnson was sworn in that evening, November 22, and he served until Nixon was installed in January of 69. Johnson dropped out because, you know, he was the big driver of the Vietnam War, and the people rose up in the streets and got rid of them. And there was a fight. Who was going to inherit the, the Democrat Party? Would it be the left or the center? Same thing we got going on today. Only it's morphed into something very extreme, which I'm going to get back to my kids. And McCarthy was defeated, and it was a really a really ugly scene in Chicago at the Democrat convention in the summer. Uh, mayor Daley, this is another name you should look up, his son ended up being mayor also. It was a dynasty, a dynasty of Daley's in Chicago, one of the most honest and fair and uncorruptible cities in America, Chicago. Hey, Al Capone was from there, you know. Daly sent the Chicago cops out into the streets to beat down McCarthy's anti-war protesters, and it was a riot, a police riot. It was uh, reminiscent of some of the things we're seeing on the Internet today. A police riot. The police caused the riot. They beat these people down awfully, horribly. Scenes of people just bloodied and beaten, and they went into the convention and because the Democrat Party is such a straight-up deal. Those leftists were defeated, and McCarthy uh, lost, and 
Humphrey got the nomination, and he subsequently lost to Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger came in, and that ushered in the era of intense globalization, which we're sitting here looking at its after effects today. But my children, you know, I was always happy to see them interact with my parents because family's family, right? My family were ardent leftists, and as I moved more to the uh, American nationalist side, I became quite ostracized you know, by my parents and by my family members because I came from a liberal background. So I changed and they didn't. And my five children were very heavily influenced by my father and mother. And because I was a dummy, I sent them all to the best schools, the best. University of Chicago, I got one at Columbia, uh, Cal Arts. I mean, these people went all over the world. I'm poor and they're rich. Isn't that beautiful? I am completely broke educating these kids. I still own student, student loans. And they all went off and they all became leftists even though they knew what my philosophy was, and they basically said, we align uh, with your parents, not with you, Dad. You've lost it. And you know, the strangest things are happening. I had one daughter call me, and she said, I'm watching the podcast. You know, you're not that uh, hard to listen to. I'm learning a lot from you. I said, wow, that's cool. Hadn't talked to her in a while. Then I get another daughter, my Columbia girl. She's out at Columbia, and I really fought her about going out there. I mean, it caused a big schism in the family. And she's out there and she's calling me. She's going, Dad, Dad, this place is making me a conservative. These people are goofy. And I didn't believe her for about the first three, four calls because I figured she's just looking for money. But actually, because we're talking frequently now, it, it's become apparent to me that the horrifying leftism of Columbia has run into her Growing up with the Professor Penn, and she's looking at this, and she's going, my gosh, I came here a leftist. I wanted to come here. But now that I'm looking at these people, hey, Dad, you were right. And I say, come home. Quit spending the family money on this. But I had the, another one yesterday, my son. My son who actually left Minneapolis for many reasons, and I, this is me fortune-telling. One of them was I think that being around my politics was tough on him because he loves me. And everybody in the family was aligned against me. So he said, hey, I'm out. He calls me yesterday and he goes, I'm over the hill. I'm with you. I don't even want to say what he said because he might watch this and then he's going to hate me. But he actually is also recognizing that there is a intellectual dishonesty of the highest level that's coming. There's a contradiction coming out of the left that a person who can think critically can see, and unless you're a thrall, a minion, a member of a cult, you're going to say, whoa, who am I hanging around with here? I was even watching this morning when I woke up, Cardi B. No, you know, no bastion of conservatism there. She was on, uh, you know, the Internet getting down on the left herself. So this is spreading, spreading, spreading. In Argentina, yesterday, a Trump-like candidate was elected president of the country. He wants to get rid of the central bank. He wants to have a plebiscite on abortion and end access to abortion in Argentina. 
he he there are interviews which we're going to play where he just says leftists you can't deal with them they're jealous of us that's interesting isn't it a political ideology based on a sin that now more and more people around the world are rising up well you know what we're going to find out as we rise up we're rising up into prison camp this is a prison uprising we're not getting to this before the the prison started we're in prison a prison for our minds and now we're going to have to wake people up which is what we're doing here i want to talk um, just a little bit about uh, dan schultz called we communicated in the middle of the night i said on the last podcast that politics was upstream of culture which is an old comment that andrew breitbart had made which has been picked up in conservative circles. And Dan called me out on that. And as somebody with a training and interest in anthropology, um, I have to say Dan's right. Uh, Culture is not upstream of politics. Politics is a culture, a subculture in and of itself. If you're in politics, it's a culture. Culture is a bigger domain within which the political parties function. They influence each other. But when we have 80% of the people that don't vote, these people are obviously not much interested in the political culture. So there's something going on distinct from politics that's just out there in the ethers, and then there's politics. So I'm going to retract per Dan's uh, critique. It is incorrect to say cultures upstream of politics let me rephrase and say politics is a subculture within our culture and they interact with each other on a second by second basis that's what we're doing here we're talking about culture and we're talking about politics we're interacting amongst the two okay let's talk a little bit about israel and the palestinians and it, you know, Elliot's looking at me going, he's changing the script. Yes, I am, because we got to be on time here today. Let's just go through in your face continued, because this is a tribal war, and this is about humiliation, because these people are willing to die. If people go to war without the expectation of coming home, and this is on both sides, right? You know, the, the Israelis, they're being uh, inculturated, excuse me, yeah, well, they're actually being inculturated. There's two kinds of learning. There's inculturation when you learn within the group, and there's acculturation when you come in from outside the group and go in, you're being acculturated. Well, these Israelis are inculturated into a 3,000-year warrior tradition. Now, they don't have this reward in heaven, but they have a reward. Israel values its debt. A lot of young people willing to die for the country, and then the Palestinians, hey, you know, they're, they're, these people are getting down. So humiliation becomes very important. Let's look at some scenes of humiliation. Can you play this first one, please? Let's play it again, please. This is a mosque in Gaza. Let's play it one more time. Hit me one more time. Isn't that great? There's a mosque. Okay, let's look at this next one. This is going to be what... Uh, tunnels look like when they get blown up look at them blow up those tunnels see now that's quite a big area look at that there they're blowing up the tunnels 
If there are people inside there, they're going to die. Isn't that nice? Scenes of death. Beautiful. I've got a uh, followers, listeners. That's good enough, Elliot. Thank you. i got followers and listeners that think I'm anti-Semitic and pro-Hamas because I'm recounting what's going on. I try not to get into my inner workings because this is news, right? But I want to be very clear with uh, some of the people that say I'm anti-Semitic. I am not, and I am certainly not pro-Palestinian because as a Jewish person, I know they're not pro-Professor Penn. I'm anti-genocide. Very simple. Anti-genocide. Anti-genocide. Just don't want things to go genocidal. Let's look at a few more of these images of in-your-face. Here's another mosque destroyed. Look at that. Let's play a little bit of that, please. And that's that same mosque afterwards. It's been the house of prayer, and I'm sure the Israeli explanation is going to be was underneath this mosque there was tunnels, there was weapons, and they had to blow it up. They had to blow it up. Let's try another one. Here's another mosque. This also must have been a portal into the tunnel system. This is the Al Yarmouk Mosque. Oh, here's another one. Look at that. Just blowing the smithereen. Look at that. It, there's so much for the Palestinians to come home to after this conflict's over. I mean, come on. All right, let's go on to this next one. The Parliament Building. Oh, this is a great one. The Israelis were nice enough to blow up the Congress of Hamas. Play this whole thing. This is really great. That building right there is the parliamentary, the par, the parliament, the physical environment where Hamas held its government, held its governmental meetings, and you know it's sitting there. It's a big building. It's nice. It's already pretty blown up, but they don't want to just leave a a hulk or a, a frame. They're going to eliminate any memory that this. Hamas parliament ever stood in the Gaza and it's going to get blown up and there's going to be oh there it goes yep everybody's happy with this now there it goes they just blew up the seat of governance in Gaza and the Israeli soldiers are very happy and uh, for those of us that are into climate change that can't be good for the climate okay so this is where we're at and then here comes the news the news is going to record you know, it's like a baseball game. The score is what the score is. Everybody's dying. So here comes Sky News, same company that owns Sky, owns Fox. Let's play this one all the way through. Gazans were told by the Israelis they would be safer in Han Yunis. But that didn't help the Tabatibi family. Eleven of them killed in two Israeli airstrikes. We were in Gaza City, and as a result of the conflict, we were moved to Khan Yunis. All my sisters died, and my son and daughter also. I wish I had taken her in my arms, and my twin sister also died. There could be many more families like the Tabatibis to come in Han Yunus. Israel is mopping up in the north of Gaza, the area it's ordered more than a million Palestinians to leave. But it's now threatening to turn on the south, the place it made them move to. You saw what happened to the city of Gaza. Khan Yunus is a center for Hamas activity as well. We're asking civilians, please vacate the area for your own safety. We don't want to see you caught up in the crossfire. Israelis have yet to find the tunnel complex they'd claimed Hamas built under Al-Shifa Hospital. 
but nearby they did find two Israeli bodies. Draped in the Israeli flag, the coffin of a soldier and hostage. Intelligence officer Noah Marciano was seized as Hamas overran her base, now brought out of Gaza to be buried by her family. I'm glad at least you're here. I will bring my grandchildren. I will bring the family. I won't give up on you. Everyone will know about Noah Marciano. She was one of two dead Israeli hostages to have been found in Gaza in recent days. The Weiss family was informed yesterday their grandmother's body had also been found near Al Shifa. Judith Weiss had been taken hostage in Kibbutz Beri near Gaza, her husband Shmulik killed. Their son Omer told me of his family's heartbreak, of being told first about his father's death and then his mother's. Tell us what it is like, what it has been like for you to live with this uncertainty about your parents. I well, turn this off. You know, this is, you know, what is this like to live with? I started tearing up watching that young girl grab that coffin. You know, this is us. This is us. This is humanity. We tolerate this. We could end this worldwide in an afternoon. We the people. It could be over. We tolerate this. And not only do we tolerate it, we're paying for it. This is us. This is the expression of us. I don't want to do this. I don't want to see young, beautiful children, Palestinian, Israeli, Chinese, Ukrainian, Russian. I don't want to see young girls, hearts broken because their family members are dead in an endless conflict that goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, you know, this is, this is what well, we're going to talk about this. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new in this. You know, I'm going to have to change gears. I'm just sharing this with you because it's just so depressing and sorrowful. And uh, this channel, Free People Radio, we're about peace. And I've had a lot of conversation with uh, candidate Royce White about this. You know, we're, we're interested in peace. We're not unwilling to fight. We are fighting. We're fighting right here, and we're taking risks. But we, we want peace. We want to give peace a chance. We know that the future, for it to hold anything of value for young people, has to be built with the interest in bringing about peace, not empire. Empire is an illusion that we were sold since we were knee-high to the grasshopper, and we just think that's the way it is. Hey, you know, for thousands of years, people grew their own food. Just because it's this way today doesn't mean it's going to be this way tomorrow. We need to be flexible. And we want to stay on air and talk about this, so please humor me. I'm going to talk about some uh, business issues that are associated with the broadcast. Number one, Free People Radio. Com. FreePeopleRadio.com, the store is open. What that means is, instead of just going there and supporting us with no quid pro quo, which we would ask you to do, you can support the content, and please do. You'll be supporting all of our efforts to grow this channel. And I have 
aspirations to see this channel become quite significant in the zeitgeist of our times in the days and weeks and months and years to come, God willing. But, you know, for those of you that want a quid pro quo, want to get something for putting something, there are some of the greatest wearables and kitchen stuff, everything that you would enjoy, and there'll be more, and you can go buy it today. Because we want to be self-financed. We don't want to take on advertisers because it's going to influence our content over time. You know, it's a slippery slope. You start out one day, you know, and you're taking a little bit of advertising money, and, you know, five years later it's uh, 800000 bucks a year or whatever the number is, and they actually have an opinion about what you say. Like some of the viewers and listeners, they come to me and they call, Hey, Professor Penn, you're a Holocaust denier. Oh, really? Holocaust denier? Hey, more than half my family died in the Holocaust. For those of you who have left me those nuggets of wisdom that I would be a Holocaust denier or hang around with anybody that's a Holocaust denier, this is not good listening. Go back, please review. We don't deny the Holocaust. What we deny is the viability of Darwinism as an operating modality which causes genocide and Holocaust. That's what we are opposed to. That's what we deny, Darwinism. Now, we're in the tire business here. Tireget.com, that's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. I'm going to do a live read shortly, but I want to tell you what this is all about. I started this several years ago. Couldn't get the right deal. Couldn't get anything correct because, you know, the thing is rigged, right? We're competing against some very big names, a place where we all go to buy our stuff every day. I'm not even going to mention the names because that's where I go, that's where you go, and they control everything. There's no space for the small business to get into the game on the 20th of November, 2023. You can't get in. The game is rigged. It's not the only thing that's rigged. There's a lot of rigged things in our society right now. That's why we're fighting for freedom. Freedom and being rigged. And, you know, these things don't go together. But we worked and 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 we would not be denied. We kept trying to get the right deal, and we put it together. We have the right price, we have the right service, and we have great customer relations. So please, next time you buy tires, think of TireGet.com, and let me do a live read right now. One minute. TireGet.com. TireGet.com. It's an e-commerce online retail store for all your tire needs. We have premium tires. I mean the name brands some of which that are made here in the United States. We try to feature American-made products. And for those of us that are ravaged by inflation, we have low-cost tires. On every tire, we have the right price. In other words, when you go to TireGet.com and support this broadcast, and thank you for doing so, you're going to get the right price on your tire. We're going to ship that tire at no extra charge to you to the local dealer right in your neighborhood and you will have paid tire get to have the tires installed. So you go in at your appointed time. The tires are waiting for you. They put them on. It's easy. It's no fuss. It's no muss. It's the right price. In and out you go. And you've supported the movement 
and thank you very much for doing so. Okay, that's a target live read. I'm getting better and better at this. And Elliot is going to cut that for me, and we're going to distribute that to our media partners, who you're going to see all over conservative media. Because guess what we're doing together? Tires. For those of us that own vehicles, which is probably most of us, and if you don't, that's cool. But most of us own vehicles. This is the best product ever to support the conservative media effort. All of us need money. And I, you know, I was, you know, we all feel embarrassed asking for money. We don't want to do it. I mean, I'm at a point in my life, I don't want to even work for money. I mean, I just wish I could be Professor Penn and the money just poured in because I was Professor Penn. But that's not the way life works. We have to scrape and scratch to make this work. And the tire idea, because everybody needs tires, and if the price is the same everywhere, I mean, you can't go to a big box store and get a better deal. It's the same deal. You can't get, you know, you can't uh, get service better anywhere. And then for customer service, you might get me on the phone. I mean, it's, it's just a great way to fund all of conservative media. So thank you, spread the word. And we're going to keep doing it because, you know, how else are we going to stay on air and build this community? All right. Now, business. The sit-down. Recently, last week, President Xi of China, when we say president, it harkens back to, you know, like President Kennedy or President Washington. Well, it's a nice word. He's El Presidente. He's dictator. They don't have a democratic process such that you can end up with a Millie in Argentina or a, a black president like Barack Obama. That ain't going to happen in China. It's much more curated. They have a party, the Communist Party. It has a hierarchy. It has a Congress. They call it a Politburo. And they have elected President Xi as president for life, which means he's going to be there for life, which traditionally when someone is for life, that would be like a king. And when we ended the divine right of kings, when people were presidents for life, we started calling them dictators because their will be done. And President Xi showed up in San Francisco this past week to have a sit-down with President Biden. And this hasn't happened for a year. And during that year, relations between the United States and China sunk to lows not seen since the Korean War. We've been, according to our press, right on the verge of going to war with China. Let's play 3 minutes and 20 seconds of a little uh, news on this meeting. I'm John Fredericks, and I am your blowtorch of free speech in America. We got a special for you right now, standing by live in San Francisco, where President Biden is meeting CCP President Xi, the dictator. They cleaned up San Francisco, and she is live there. Nicole Sai on the ground in San Francisco, senior spokesperson, new federal state of China. She's been a, a long-term member there. Nicole, thanks for being with us. Describe the scene in San Francisco, Nicole. 
Good morning, John, and thank you so much for having us. So, so today we're among thousands of uh, protesters in downtown San Francisco, and I'm reporting live right here outside of the APEC main conference site that is Moscone West Conference Center. And a few blocks away from our practice site is the St. Regis Hotel, where Xi Jinping and the C CCP delegates are residing. So today, there are hundreds of the new uh, Federation of China members traveling across the country. And so we're joining many pro-democracy, human rights activists, and people from Tibet, from Xinjiang, and even people traveling all the way from China. They're here to protest Xi Jinping. And we're calling for the U.S. President Joe Biden to press Xi Jinping to free Chinese people from the evil Chinese Communist Party. And so today we're also seeing that there are many uh, San Francisco uh, residents that are joining us. But John, you know what? The most troubling side of the story is that there are American business leaders who are willing to pay $40,000 just to sit down with Xi Jinping tonight for a business gala. And this is, uh, you know, this is like American sellout representing the corporate Americans' interests. Definitely not the interests of we the people. Stop right there, please. Thank you. Well, this is uh, everything we need to know about this meeting. There was a lot of protesters there that were kept far away from President Xi. Of course, this took place in San Francisco, the seat of leftist power. Can't get any. This is the home base of uh, Nancy Pelosi. These are these are this is a communist environment in San Francisco. Communist. The place was a mess. There's been a lot of blowback because Gavin Newsom, Governor Gavin Newsom, who was, you know, very integral to setting up this sit-down, he cleaned up San Francisco. They got the homeless off the streets. They picked up the needles and the feces, and they just made it beautiful. For President Xi, they turned it back into the Emerald City that it always was. The last time I was in San Francisco, which I've only been there once, it was beautiful. And then it just went to hell in a handbasket. Because that's the politics of the current regime is to sow these seeds of chaos in our society because we're living in a coup. We are living in a communist takeover. It's already way down the road. I would say they've already taken over and they're into the cleanup and uh, control you know, phase of their operation. They're just cleaning it up. And, you know, then we've got this media, the last vestige of hope, which is, you know, podcasting. And we got young people like my son, who has been a committed leftist. They're looking at, you know, he's living in Seattle. He's looking at what's going on out there. He's going, whoa, this can't be right. You know, people are at Cardi B. People are waking up that, whoa, this is not... This is not what we thought it was going to be, which that's the way it always is in a communist takeover. Sounds really good on, in the classroom, looks good on paper, but when you throttle the human will and enslave it, things get kind of dirty and ugly. And they, you know, they have this, uh, this meeting, this sit down, and President Biden, uh, he outdid himself. He called Xi a dictator, which. Whatever bloom was on the rose, 
quickly faded after he started bandying about the dictator term. They didn't like that over in China. But that's all the cover story. Xi did not really come over here to talk to Biden. That was a formality because they're not really running the show. He really came over here to talk to the business leaders that met with him. After he met with Biden, they had a big gala dinner, a big gala dinner. And everybody was there. I mean, I could name all the names, but I'm going to ask you to go look it up. Not that I'm afraid to name the names, just not time to name them all. But it was a who's who of U.S.-China relations. It was very interesting. And there were some agreements that came out of the political part. I'm going to share them with you. An intergovernmental dialogue on artificial intelligence. Well, we're going to talk about it. That's great. Drug control cooperation. President Biden was very thankful that President Xi had agreed to stop sending the precursors for fentanyl, or, you know, just to interdict it, not to allow the Chinese businesses that provide the precursors for fentanyl to stop them from providing those precursors. Well, guess what? President Xi has promised this before. So I guess, you know, this time it's going to be so much more implemented than it was under President Trump when he previously made this promise. This promise keeps getting bad. There's going to be no stopping the drug war. Because if you go back and look at the history of the opium wars, there was two opium wars, which means they had a set of agreements about drugs, which got overthrown every time. And that's what we're doing here. It's payback. There will be no stopping this, but it sounds great. It's a great soundbite. President Xi is going to help interrupt fentanyl. Great. High-level military-to-military talking is going to be reinstated. How important? Because it could avoid an unintentional and unintended conflict. Great. Maritime security consultation. You know, if two boats jam into each other. You know, if there was a ramming, they could pick up the phone and say, hey, let's not have World War III over an accident. That's cool. And they're going to start to up the number of flights going back and forth between the U.S. and China in 2024, which must mean that if business people want to go to China, they will not be arrested when they get there. Because right now, the reason there's not a lot of flights is because there's a lot of American business people that go in and can't get out. Kind of like the Hotel California, if you know that song. All right, so that's what they agreed to. But the real action... The real action was this business council, this business meeting, and uh, the tickets cost between $2,000 and $40,000. It was hosted by the National Committee on United States-China Relations, the NCUSCR. Henry Kissinger is a member. You can go look that up. Just put in your browser, NCUSCR. That's N-C-U-S-C-R. And just pop board of directors and membership, and you'll see who's really running the show. And it was co-sponsored by the U.S.-China Business Council. Put the U.S.-CBC in your browser and take a look at who are the people who are actually running the show. These are the people that are really running the deal. Our government, it's a cover story. A cover story to keep us amused, entertained, distracted from the real action. And here in Minnesota, 
here in Minnesota, where I'm a member of the Republican Party, and it's a disgusting, it's as disgusting a group of people as I've ever run into, and they're globalists in the extreme. They don't care about the American people. They don't care about any minority groups. They don't care about anybody's financial well-being. They only care about themselves. These people suck to high heaven. And why are they able to have power? Well, because here in Minnesota, we have a great relationship with China. There was an article in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, a communist newspaper, and it said, China was Minnesota's third largest export market in 2022. $2.7 billion of Minnesota production went to China. That was three behind Mexico at $2.8 billion, a tie. In Canada, we got a border to the north, $9 billion. This is a quote from the Department of Employment and Economic Development. Practically all large manufacturing firms, and for that matter, many of the medium and small manufacturing firms in Minnesota, have a China strategy. The professor and dean emerita of the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management chimed in, so a stable bilateral relationship is absolutely critical to the continued growth and efficiency of the manufacturing sector of our state's economy. A university professor named Ed Usick in the Applied Economics Department of the University of Minnesota chimed in how important China is for our agriculture industry here. And of course, Cargill, the largest privately owned company in the world, is based right here where I live in Senate District 45 in Wyzetta, Minnesota, and they're running the whole deal. It's a $116 billion annual company, and they are the ones that fund everything that goes on in the state through their various connections and shadowy relationships. And why do they do it? Because we have 50 states, and Minnesota is firmly on the side of globalism because that's our business here. So when I have to wonder, or my, my, my associates in the Republican Party wonder, why the Republican Party of Minnesota is so Democrat, that would be because we're in business with the Chinese here in Minnesota. It makes it impossible for an American nationalist to make any progress in the state of Minnesota because the big money ensures that the Minnesota citizen is completely brainwashed on the ideas of climate change, social equity, and democracy so that the real thing that's going on is that our tax dollars and our production are going to support China and that money goes into China and we're spreading worldwide communism. You know, that's what's really going on here. So it's very depressing, very unhappy, and it really goes into there is nothing new under the sun. It's not our institutions that suck. It's the people in these institutions. Let me digress. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. 
everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are worrisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Wisdom is meaningless. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. With more knowledge, the more grief. This week is the anniversary of President John Kennedy being killed in front of the American people on November 22nd, 1963. It's 60 years. And I just want to comment that mankind's been killing its leaders forever. We have all this technology that is allegedly new and is changing our world. But we've seen technology change the world many times before, starting with the wheel. Fire. I mean, this is something that's not new. We are living this week without any real awareness as the people of what that assassination did to our soul as a country when a young leader who was sensitive to war because he fought in World War II and was a hero. Not like so many of the talking shirts we have now. Maybe they were in the uh, National Guard, like President Bush. Never saw combat. Like some of our National Committee members here that were in the military, but it was a relatively safe deal for them. There was no fighting. But they take credit as if they were, you know, in the trench. And, you know, really, we're all in the trench in our own ways. 
so it doesn't invalidate their perspective. But when we have a leader like John Kennedy, who, you know, was severely injured in World War II, saved other people in his command, fought, and then came out of that war and became political with a sensitivity to what violence means when you see it with your own eyes, when you see that death and destruction with your own eyes. Like we played the picture of that young girl crying on the coffin of her sister. When you see that with your own eyes, you question, who are the people that profit from this, profit from the destruction and from the death and the chaos that comes from empire? Well, this has been going on forever. So let us remember President Kennedy and that he was slain. And to this day, no one has ever paid a price for the murder of a president in broad daylight. We never got to the bottom of it. Sure. Who's got the juice in our society to cover up the assassination of a president? They didn't poison him, after all. He didn't have a heart attack in the night. This guy's brains were blown out on television. And nobody was ever caught. That kind of boggles my mind. I want to remember who he was. And let's take a look at some of the secrets that he was not comfortable with right up to our current our current day. Let's play this first one, Eisenhower, 1961. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, Resources and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted 
Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. That's great. Left it up to us, we the people. We're doing such a great job. Okay, Kennedy, 1961. Can we start at 420, please? Imposes upon our society two requirements of direct concern, both to the press and to the president. Two requirements that may seem almost contradictory in tone, but which must be reconciled and fulfilled if we are to meet this national peril. I refer first to the need for far greater public information, and second, to the need for far greater official secrecy. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweigh the dangers which are cited to justify it, the facts they deserve to know. But I do ask... That's good, thank you. But I there are those that believe that this is the paragraph that got Kennedy killed. And in remembrance of his martyrdom, I will read this slowly and out loud. I refer first to the need for a far greater public information and second to the need for far greater official secrecy. The very word secret, he's talking about the polarity when you're in continuous war between the needs of an open society, a democratic society, a republic for access to information and then the military-industrial complex's need for secrecy as it shrouds its military activities, thus to have an advantage. Surprise in a war is an advantage. I refer first to the need for a far greater public information and second to the need for far greater official secrecy. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society and we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. In other words, empire and self-governance cannot coexist. And that's where we're at, 63, 2023, 60 years. We've lost the republic. We're living in a prison for our minds. And what I'm doing, what Free People is doing, what you're doing, this is the last gasp of freedom in the world. If we fail, freedom will come back, but it will be a very long time. If we succeed, we can bring about an American renaissance starting in 2024. It's all about what we think and what we do. Please vote. At the very least, please vote. Okay, so we went on into the future. And people kept referring to this secrecy, this secret society. Let's uh, play 32 seconds of Frank Church, Senator Frank Church on the National, National Security Agency 
Frank put the Senator Frank Church, 1975. We have a particular obligation to examine the NSA in light of its tremendous potential for abuse. It has the capacity to monitor the private conversations of American citizens without the use of a bug or a tap. The interception of international communication signals sent through the air is the job of NSA, and thanks to modern technological developments, it does its job very well. The danger lies in the ability of the NSA to turn its awesome technology against domestic communications. 40-year-old video That's of good, the church community. So we see that as far back as 75, elected leaders, which political theater, they weren't running anything even back then, but they had a little more influence. And, you know, here's Frank Church. He, you know, led the church commission. This guy is famous. Go back and look at him. We could talk about him more. He was a hero. Let's be aware of what the, the tremendous technology that the NSA has to surveil American citizens. Here's Frank Church on the CIA in 1976. The first 56 seconds, please. Well, it's a bill that would set up a permanent oversight committee. Uh, bipartisan committee uh, with a rotating membership so that it would not be preempted by the agencies that it is to oversee uh, with sufficient authority both to keep the secrets that are legitimate and to investigate and expose wrongdoing when it occurs. We want to be sure that this country stays free and that means that uh, any spy agency continues to be outward looking, to spy on foreigners, but not to be spying on Americans or not to be trampling upon the laws and constitutional rights of American citizens. That would be its purpose, and in the long run, it would contribute to public confidence in the CIA and make for an efficient intelligence agency uh, operating within the law. Great. He did the best he could. He shot his best shot. Look what happened. The administrative state does not have to get elected every six years like a senator or every two years like a representative. They don't have to raise money to stay in the game. We're looking in the wrong places. It's time for the American people to realize these folks are on our payroll. It's up to us. Oh, here's a great one. You're going to like this. This is Senator Daniel Inouye of Hawaii speaking a very long time ago during the Reagan administration, about a secret government. You'll like this one. Obviously, these hearings have been about issues much more profound than who did what or knew what in the Iran-Contra affair. They have presented two visions of government, much as the Constitutional Convention was presented with different views of the relationship between government and its citizens 200 years ago. One vision was described in the testimony of Admiral Poindexter, Lieutenant Colonel North, General Secord, and Mr. Hakim, that of a secret government directed principally by NSC staffers accountable to not a single elected official, including apparently the president himself, a shadowy government with its own Air Force, its own Navy, its own fundraising mechanism, and the ability to pursue its own ideas of the national interest, free from all checks and balances, 
and free from the law itself. It is an elitist vision of government that trusts no one, not the people, not the Congress, and not the cabinet. It is a vision of a government operated by persons con convinced they have a monopoly on truth. Albert Hakim, a businessman who admitted he was in it for the money, could boast to us that he was more competent to manage the Iran initiative than the Secretary of State. Thank you. That's good. Unelected technocrats that claim they know what the truth is. Remember, we don't say here at Free People Radio that we know the truth. We're searching for the truth with you together. But we've got these people that came out of our lead institutions that are absolutely sure that their vision is correct. So sure, in fact, that they don't have to follow any rules because the rules are for dummies, right? Dummies like you and me. We're dummies like you and me. You know, we pay our taxes. We don't burn things down. We don't kill young people. We don't do these things. You know, we're following the rules. So you get a whole bunch of people, millions of, hundreds of millions of people following a rule book that we all have invested in. It's called the Constitution of the United States and all the law that came from it. And then you pervert that law, and then you don't follow it. That's who's leading the country. Great. Not our elected leaders. It's not our elected leaders. That's political theater. Until we, the people, get a sufficient number of elected leaders into our governance such that they can say, stop, this game is coming to an end. Got a long way to go to reach that point. But as we saw in Argentina, it can happen in one election. I want to read this again. And then we're going to go on to one more notable person in this vein of secrecy. God bless President Kennedy and his memory. May it last forever. I refer first to the need for a far greater public information and second to the need for far greater official secrecy. He's putting off empire and self-governance. That's what he's talking about. Empire, the need for secrecy, self-governance, the need for public information so that we the people can make good decisions. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Let's play Nikki Haley on China. 317 of a secret, a secret keeper. with fentanyl 
than the Iraq, Afghanistan, and Vietnam wars combined. We lost 75,000 Americans just last year from famine. Then you go and you look, 90% of law enforcement drones in our country are Chinese. So you got upset when a Chinese spy balloon went over. Just think of all these mini spy balloons that are doing surveillance right now. There's a list of technology we never want China to get because it builds up their military and it threatens America. Yet the Biden administration approved 70% of those requests last year. And when it comes to the military, China has been building, modernizing, and strengthening their military to a scary point. They now have the largest naval fleet in the world. They have 350 ships. They'll have 400 ships in two years. We won't even have 350 ships in two decades. They're doing cyber. They're doing space. They're doing artificial intelligence. They've developed hypersonic missiles. We've barely gotten started. And now China is the biggest developer of neuroswipe weapons, weapons engineered to change the brain activity of military commanders and segments of the population. This is no joke. They don't see us as a competitor. They see us as an enemy. We have to start being strong. For too long, Republican and Democrat presidents thought if we were nice to China, they would want to be like us. They don't want to be like us. They want to be communist China. We have to change the way we look at them. So how do we fix it? We make sure that we stop allowing them to buy any U.S. soil, and we take back what they've already purchased. We go to our universities, and we say, you either take Chinese money or you take American money. But the days of taking both are over, and we get that Chinese infiltration out of our universities. When it comes to fentanyl, we go to China and say, we will end all normal trade relations with you until you stop killing Americans. You watch how quick they end that fentanyl flow, because they need us for their economy. And when it comes to technology, we'll make sure that that technology list is not a suggestion, it's a blacklist. Quit sending things that help China. We have to start protecting America. When it comes to... Okay, so uh, our Republican National Committee and our local Minnesota GOP, they're not neutral. We had Ron on last time. Oh, we don't do the messaging. We're just a turnout machine. These people are working around the clock to end Donald Trump. I'm talking about our Republican Party. Working around the clock. And their champion is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. And she's saying a lot of right things on China. But who really is Nikki Haley? Who is she? And who she is? In February 2019, Haley was nominated to the board of directors of Boeing. That's one of our largest defense contractors. She was elected at the annual shareholder meeting in April 2019. Haley had previously fought a unionization effort at the Boeing South Carolina, South Carolina plant when she was the governor. She fought a unionization effort. So her payoff, this is how things work, okay? She fought a unionization effort in South Carolina as the governor, Governor Nikki Haley, and after she was done being governor, 
she got appointed to the board and was elected to the board of directors of one of our largest defense contractors. Isn't it great how this works? Boy, I would just like to have all the defense people, all the ex-military people, running everything because, of course, they are about a free and open society. They are about self-governance, of course. That's who they are. That's why they were on the board of directors of one of the world's largest defense contractors. And Professor Penn's going to go right on the record here and say, she can check every box. She can say everything correctly. And she's full of it. She's a war hawk. She's a neocon. I've met her twice. She's not hiding about who she is. And I don't know what it is with South Carolina. That's where Lindsey Graham is from. I mean, come on. What the, where are all these neocons? What, how are they turning out so many neocons from South Carolina? Something must be wrong there. South Carolina. We should take a look at it someday. Um, you know what? I'm going to come back to South Carolina soon. I have some South Carolina stories. Here's a great one. Nikki Haley got a lifetime position in October 2021. Lifetime. Someone decided, oh, this woman needs to make $300,000, $400,000 a year for a lifetime. They put her on the board of Clemson University as a trustee. She's on the board of trustees of Clemson. It's just great being Nikki Haley. Wherever she goes, she just gets paid for being Nikki Haley. What a great job she has. All she has to do is when she sees a war, support it. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? And I'll tell you, this all functions beautifully right down to the level of my neighborhood. You see this corruption? This corruption, it's corruption. She fought a unionization effort as governor, and she's rewarded with a position on the board of directors of Boeing, three, four hundred thousand a year. You know, that's just the way things work. And then she gets a lifetime, lifetime appointment, like a king or a queen, lifetime, to the board of trustees of Clemson University. I wonder what they're doing at Clemson. That'd be a you know, a podcast. What kind of research dollars are flowing into Clemson? I don't think I'm going to like it when I look at it. Otherwise, they wouldn't put Nikki Haley on the board to keep the cash flowing. And this goes right down to my neighborhood. This kind of corruption goes to my neighborhood. My neighborhood. And I'm just going to share a personal anecdote, a story. It's, it's the truth. I'm not making it up. And I've said, and I... This past weekend, I was outside for about six hours, three hours Saturday, three hours on Sunday. I had a great time doing my fall cleanup, did it myself, raked it, bagged it, mowed it before anybody got up in the morning. It was great. It was great. I had a great time doing it. And I spent yeah, four hours walking around in my neighborhood. So I walked my neighborhood, and I, I walked the same route Every time I walk, I have, and I'm meeting all my neighbors, and the neighbors I'm meeting, you know, I don't walk up to them and say, hey, I'm David Penn, officer of the Republican Party, because that would mean I'm using my neighbors. I don't do that. None of my neighbors know I'm broadcasting. 
None of my neighbors know I'm in the Republican Party. I'm making friends with my neighbors because I'll have influence over my friends. I don't want to harangue strangers. Politics is a personal deal, person to person. All the people that you know, you could spread out Free People Radio and the podcast. And please, help us with these algorithms. Subscribe. Click the like. And leave a comment. And go back, because I'm going to probably answer your comment, which I do frequently. I like to be engaged with all of you as much as I can. But I walk around my neighborhood, and I talk to people, and I enjoy getting to know them. And a strange thing has happened. I have noticed the house right next door to me, my next-door neighbor, is no longer my next-door neighbor. There's about 20 Spanish-speaking people living in that house. 20 could be an exaggeration, but when I try to count it, I can't count it. There's six, seven vans there all the time at night. Now, these people... Spanish-speaking people, they're working. They're working. They're painters. They're all in it together. They have a bunch of bands, and they're out painting. And there's a bunch of them. I mean, it's more than somewhere between 10 and 20. Don't allow me to you know, exaggerate, because exaggeration is a poor quality. There could be 20, but there's over 10 people living in a small rambler right next to my small home. My home is comfortable with four or five people. There's at least 10, and there's more than 10, living next door to me in a house that could be torn down and a new house being built there. So someone has decided to rent out this home to a lot of people, and nobody's complaining. And when I walk around the neighborhood, these people are working, but there's another home very close to my house. And again, now these people are recent newcomers to my country. They're dressed in Islamic garb, burqas. They don't dress like Americans. They dress like they came from a Muslim country recently. And when I walk by, they glare at me in very threatening ways. Of course, I glare right back at them because, hey, there's easier people to pick on than me. I'm letting them know because they're being quite intimidating. And there's lots of them. And they sit out on lawn chairs and they smoke cigarettes. And there's people coming and going constantly. Hey, for all I know, it could be a terror cell because they are terrifying. And I walk by and I realize that this house, too, is old stock. Many of the homes in my neighborhood have been torn down. I live in a old suburb. Many of the homes were built in the 50s, the 60s. They're very old. And what happens is, you know, mom dies. Dad died first, then mom died. And now I have this piece of property. And the house and the piece of property is worth 400, 500,000, 350, 400,000. But if I tear that house down and I build a McMansion on it, suddenly it's worth a million five. And that's going on all over my neighborhood. People like me are getting priced out. And they're bringing in all this high-end money. But somebody had a great idea. A great idea. We don't have to go through all the trouble to tear a house down and rebuild. We can be slumlords and rent the house, this old rambler that really could be torn down. We can rent it out 
to a large population of recent illegal immigrants who are getting government money. And I can charge, if I was a slumlord, I can charge a lot more. I'm not going to get the market for this. I'm going to rent out a, a one-family dwelling for four people. I'm going to rent it to 15 people. I'm going to collect double or triple rent on this thing. And you know, people in my city complained about this. And the city council said, go away. And why is that? Because the city council gets money from the federal government if there's low-income residents within the city. This is corruption. This is how far down the road our government is to destroying the way of life I grew up with. Because they don't care if every house in the neighborhood is filled with illegal aliens to the country. Nobody's checking these people. Nobody's saying, hey, here's a family of four with two little girls, and right next door is 14 illegal military-age males. Nobody cares about that or what the implications might be. God forbid something goes wrong, but the city wants these people in my neighborhood. And, of course, I want the people. I'm not discriminating against immigrants. I'm discriminating against slumlords. I'm discriminating against people who provide substandard housing at exorbitant prices for their personal benefit and a government that supports that scam. That's what I'm not against the people. I'm against the American citizens, maybe Republicans, who are exploiting the government largesse that's taking care of these people for their own personal short-term gain, degrading the quality of the neighborhood because the stock is not being updated or repaired. This is going on all over the country. It's going on right next door to me. We need to realize how far down the road these secret societies are to subverting the Constitution of the United States. We need, we need to realize we're not playing catch-up football. We're not even in the game. We're not even in the game. And that's just the way it is. You've got to start with reality. You've got to get in the game. And you do that by taking 24 hours of your life a year and becoming a delegate to your political party. Then you'll be able to say who's in the party and who the party endorses for elective office. That is self-governance. I'm going to end with something that's big news right now about Elon Musk. Elon Musk, the IBM, and the WEF. Can you please play this piece from MSNBC on IBM? <laughs> Information implanted once upon a punched card. Punched card accounting is simply a matter of letting machines shuffle the papers. When machines do the adding and subtracting and multiplying and comparing and printing, business facts are handled with increased speed and improved accuracy. 
Before there were modern day computers, businesses and governments all over the world used punched card systems to track the flow of data. IBM was a pioneer in the original punch card computing system. In the 1930s and 1940s, one of IBM's main international subsidiaries was in Hitler's Germany. And IBM you, continued to do business in Germany. You know, this this will show you. This woman looks intelligent. She reads like she's got a brain. It's subsidiary. You have to be not very educated to get this wrong. And she's going to do it again. You can catch it the next time. Please continue. Germany during the lead up to World War II, despite growing international boycotts. In 1937, IBM's CEO, Thomas Watson, became the first American businessman to be awarded the Medal of the German Eagle by Adolf Hitler himself for bettering economic relations with the Third Reich. In his book, IBM and the Holocaust, historian Edwin Black argues that Nazi Germany relied on IBM's punch card technology to carry out their systematic genocide of Europe's Jewish population. He writes, card sorting operations were established in every major concentration camp. People were moved from place to place, systematically worked to death, and their remains cataloged with icy automation. IBM has acknowledged that the Nazis used equipment from IBM's German subsidiary during the war. They have said that the company finds the atrocities committed by the Nazi regime abhorrent and categorically condemns any action which aided their unspeakable acts. IBM has not confirmed allegations of deeper involvement in the Holocaust, saying that many of its records from that time were destroyed or lost during the war. But it is safe to say that IBM understands the potential danger of what happens when information technology is used for hateful and anti-Semitic purposes. Yesterday, IBM officially suspended all of its advertising on the platform X, formerly known as Twitter, after a report from Media Matters found that its advertisements had appeared next to tweets promoting Hitler and Nazism. An ex-executive ex responded by saying the company has done a sweep on the accounts that Media Matters found, and they will no longer be monetizable, and that the specific posts will be labeled sensitive media. To be clear here, they are not taking down the Hitler Nazi tweets. They are going to label them sensitive. That same day, ex-owner Elon Musk publicly agreed with an anti-Semitic tweet on the platform, one accusing Jews of pushing hatred against whites. Musk told the anti-Semitic user, you have said the actual truth. CNBC reports that that tweet prompted other companies to also pause their ads on the platform, companies including Apple and Disney and Comcast, this network's parent company. Despite the backlash, Elon Musk, the richest man in the world and the owner of several of the world's most important technology companies, he is now openly agreeing with some of the most poisonous right-wing anti-Semitism that is out there. There is a dark history of what happens when American business leaders become complicit or active participants in this kind of anti-Semitism. The question now is, how do we as a society respond? Well, we're running out of time tonight, so I'm not going to be able to get through this piece the way I intended to. Maybe I'll come back to it. And I'm thinking about my... Uh, feedback I'm getting on social media that I'm anti-Semitic, which is crazy. I'm honest. I know what's going on in the Jewish community because 
I grew up there and I'm still part of it. So I think I'm going to make a decision to come back to this next time because this requires some unpacking. But the critical issue here is that Musk affirmed a tweet that the media has identified as being anti-Semitic. I'll give you a, an analog to this. When Royce, Weiss de Royce White declared for Congress in 2022, and he spoke against globalization and globalism in his announcement uh, press conference, when he, when he announced his candidacy at a press conference, our local newspaper said he was anti-Semitic just for using the word globalism. Globalism is not anti-Semitic to use that word. It's just not. It's only indicative, this walling off of this argument is only indicative of how weak and how diverting these arguments are, how they cover the truth with broad brushing things with anti-Semitic or racist. We're going to come back to that. It's really important to work our way through that. But I thought a lot about IBM, and they covered it there on MSNBC. It was, uh, you know, a supporter of the Nazi regime, as were many, many, many companies here in the United States. So I'm just going to end with this. I'm going to read a list of companies. These companies are called the strategic partners of the World Economic Forum. These are, the these are a list of 100. There's not going to be 101 or 98 because the World Economic Forum likes the numerology of 100. There's 100 strategic partners. This is a strange way to go out. I'm going to read these companies, see how many of them you recognize, and let's just think about Nazi Germany and how things stay the same under the sun. Nothing changes under the sun. And when we get to the end of the list, we're going to go out with a very nice piece of music just to lighten me up because music is so important to the health and well-being of our souls. It's going to take a while, but I'm going to go through all of them. ABB, Accenture, Adani Group, Adeco Group, African Rainbow Minerals, Agility, AIG, Acre, Alibaba, Alix Partners Alliance, Amazon, Aramco, ArcelorMittal, AstraZeneca, Bahrain Economic Development Board, Bain & Company, that's Mitt Romney's company, Baja Group, Banco, Banco Santander, Bank of America, Barclays, Bill & Melinda Gates Foundation, BlackRock, Boston Consulting, BP Bridgewater, Herbert Berta Media, Capgemini, Chevron, Cisco, City, Coca-Cola, Cognizant, Dell Technologies, Deloitte, Dentsu, Deutsche Bank, DHL, DP World, DSM, EY, Goldman Sachs, Google, Hanhua, HCL, Hewlett Packard, Hitachi Honeywell, Hong Kong, HP, HSBC, Huawei, IBM, Infosys, ING, Intel, JAL, Johnson & Johnson, Woody Johnson, J.P. Morgan Chase, 
GE Diamond, Kearney, KPMG, Kudelski, Lazard, Luchik, Mahindra, Majid, Manpower, Marsh McLennan, MasterCard, McKinsey & Company, Mercuria, Meta, oh, Facebook, Microsoft, Mitsubishi, Morgan Stanley, Mubadala, MUFG Bank, Nestle, Novartis, Novo, Open Society Foundation, that'd be George Soros' company, Palantir, PayPal, PepsiCo, Pfizer, PwC, Procter & Gamble, Publicus Group, Qatar, or Qatar Investment Authority, Qualcomm, maker of chips, Reliance Industries, Royal Phillips, Salesforce SAB, Saudi Basic Infrastructure, Schneider Electric, Sequoia Capital, Siemens, Socar, Sony Group, S&P Global, Standard Charter Bank, Suntory, Swiss Re, Takeda Pharmaceutical, Tata Consultants, Ericsson, Trafigura, Uber Technologies, UBS, Unilever, Verizon Communications, Visa Card, Volkswagen, a Volkswagen, the people's car, Volvo, the Volvo Group, the Volvo Group, Welcome Trust, Ypro, Yara, and Zurich Insurance. Hey, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing changes because the people suck. We're going to have a change. Like when you see Professor Penn getting down on himself because I'm not living up to the standards I want to get to so that I can bring about the change in myself that I'm trying to share. This is why the people suck, not our institutions. Every once in a while, a group of people come together and they give birth to a divinely inspired institution like the church, like the Constitution. And then the people get in there and they fall prey to their own weaknesses and they pervert these organizations and nothing changes. Here we go. IBM supported the uh, Nazi party in 1937 and IBM's one of the top 100 sponsors of the WEF. Nothing changes. Let's go out with something that's just fantastic. Great musicianship. Great musicianship comes from practice. I want to share that this is a guy playing something that is so technically difficult but still hip. It's inspiring. I want to wish you all a great week. It's Tuesday night. I'll see you Thursday. Thursday night is Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week. Let's have a holiday. Let's be well. Let's go out together with some great music and thank you for joining me.
Chapo.